When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Talking City podcast from the Manchester Even News. I'm joined, and I say this every week now, in our new surroundings by Ian Cheeseman. Hello. And Sai, you're back from your trip to America. You've been missed on the podcast. How, oh, how are you doing? I, I'm very well. All the better for hearing that, yeah. Are you, are you glad to be back? Absolutely, yeah. That's the type of spirit. Last week when you were off, by the way, he was slagging you off, so was I don't he? believe a word yeah. he says. Well. <laughs> Hopefully you can download that podcast for yourself and hear it. I've um, already listened to it, listened to everyone, yeah. Because you listen to them all on Acast, yeah. and that is how yeah, all of yeah. our, our loyal the Empire fans... State Building, I was, I was on it. Well, you recorded one of the podcasts in preseason in America, in a hotel, didn't you? We recorded some... three in America, Richard, yeah. as you'll there remember. There was one in particular that had some lobby music in the background. Yes. Which, um, <laughs> yeah, some of the yeah. diehard fans might recall, that was one of the... <laughs> One of my favourite podcasts ever. My, I was involved in one of them. You were yeah, involved there. It, it wasn't that one. That was, was in the hotel room. Well, that it? wasn't particularly glamorous. I could smell Stuart Brennan's feet throughout. Oh. And we were all sat very, very close to uh, to this table next to... Was it Stuart's it, bed or it was, it was it yours? It was Stuart's bed, yeah. Yeah, yeah I thought there was a funny smell. But I anyway, that, that was that, yeah. Well, that sounds fantastic. I'm not sure how we're going to beat that today, but we'll, we'll give it a go anyway. Um it's been difficult, not much club football to report on since last time. In fact, there's been none, but we've had international football. And from a City point of view, um, and an England point of view as well, there's been sort of two major talking points. One of them, Raheem Sterling, his his performance against Croatia. I'm not sure if I've you watched the game, sort of divided fans. Um, his goal drought for England continues, but Jadon Sancho came on, finally made his senior debut for England. And we had one question on Twitter, because Ian, as always, asks the Twitter following if they've got any questions today and one of them what an Australian listener Jared 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 are we going to say Jared so yeah yeah. a bit aggressive the Jared but we'll go Jared said what is the likelihood of City trying to sign back Jadon Sancho and do you think it would be worth it and I think that for the first discussion Jadon Sancho in general what's your opinion on him but you've introduced Sterling in as well we're talking about Sterling then I mean I didn't actually see the England game I, I flicked over for five or ten minutes and obviously it was being played played behind closed doors and I found that really off-putting anyway. I think football is about fans and fans being there. I won't go into the you know the politics of the reasons why it was played like that, but nevertheless it put me off and the game just didn't feel like a game to me. But as I say, I didn't watch a lot of it. But what I would say about Raheem Sterling is that in the City team, the way that it plays, he is given a certain type of freedom in Pep's system that works for him and I think that's why he scores goals and why he is seems more relaxed, more confident, more mobile, more fluid positionally, everything, um, than when he's perhaps playing for England. It, when I've seen him play for England, it seems a little bit more structured. Now, I personally think, even though I'm saying there's a lot of fluidity in it, that Sterling operates better on the right-hand side, perhaps from time to time drifting in centrally. When he's played on the left for City, which he has done a couple of times recently, I don't think he's been quite as effective. We said but, that, didn't we, when we spoke about that game at Liverpool yeah, as yeah. well. We said that Sterling was his defensive duties why he's played against Liverpool. But again, you would rather have seen him on the right against... Yeah, I mean, I mean, his defensive duties are part of it. And 
in reference to that Liverpool game, I think we said, uh, perhaps all agreed, that Sane not being picked was probably because of the perception and, and his reality, really, of him not work, tracking back and working hard. I'm not saying he's lazy, just think not it's not much. his tendency yeah. to do that. Whereas Sterling now does do that. So that was part of it. But um, where he plays in an attacking sense, I think he benefits from playing on the right. Uh, I don't know what, what Simon thinks of that, but... Um, yeah, yeah, I think I would agree with that mainly. Um, mainly, right? Come main, on, challenge me. Well, no, I think you know he's constantly improving, and I think the right is his best position. But you know, a year or so ago, we wouldn't have said he was a goal scorer. And True, that's come on a lot in the last twelve or eighteen months. So I think he, I don't think he is as effective on the left because I think he's kind of better where he has been playing, but. He's also talked recently about coming through and, you know, learning to love scoring goals, whereas it used to be all about showboating. So maybe he'll move more centrally. That was the plan for him at the start of last season. Pep wanted to move him more in the middle, more as a number 10. That still might happen yet. So um, I think he just has, he still has a lot of potential. But Raheem Sterling is not a player you can really watch on the TV and make a make an opinion about him true. because That's he does very true. so feel, much yeah. off the ball I feel like he is really harshly treated by people who only look at your output in terms of goals and assists and it's people who don't watch yeah. City every week who can criticise him because he's playing for England yeah. and a player like him especially you said then last season was his best ever goal scoring season and then people expect you to do even better this year and if you don't match it up there's always going to be maybe the general media who are going to criticise you if you're not scoring a yeah, but I'm not necessarily sure it's the general media who are sort of driving this. It's morons on Twitter who are going to say, like, what if he doesn't score? Oh, he's had a terrible game. Yeah. And then, you know, some people pick that up and say, oh, everyone thought Raheem Sterling was terrible. Well, some, some, some people think the people, earth's flat. Yeah. Don't mean you should listen to him. But Richard's not, point is, is, is... Let's not get started on that debate. Maybe that's for next week on the podcast. What, what the flat earth one? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah. But your point, Rich, about, about not what... You, you know, if you only watch highlights and you only look at statistics, yeah, you've got to be there at the you game. make a completely different judgment. And, you know, we're lucky, Simon and Stuart and I are lucky enough to see them every week and you get the full picture. Now, you know, not everybody gets that and I understand how lucky we are. But without that insight you have a different perception and I think it's an unfair one in Raheem Sterling's case in fact probably generally in football um, you see so much more why do you think that managers who have access to videos of every single team that they ever scout still attend matches because you see things at a game that you cannot see on TV. I mean, in coaching now, they do have these wide vision cameras that basically Tactical view have ones, the, yeah. whole, the whole pitch. So that definitely helps. Especially for a manager like Pep, where yeah, he's not absolutely. just... Yeah, maybe you could say some of the more old school managers would just... What, you could watch a clip. Yeah. I know from my time at Wrexham that one of the managers did sign a player based on a YouTube video. But <laughs> that happened at City a lot, yeah. trust me. <laughs> but you know, nowadays that just won't happen, especially under someone as sort of meticulous as Pep, who wants every aspect. And again, we always talk about every week as well, Pep's not just about the play, he's about the personality, your whole ethos, why you want to be there. If you're not a born winner, you're not playing for Man City. It's as simple as that. Yeah, well, and, and Gareth Southgate, again, raised that, Sterling is a fighter. And that's why he played at the World Cup so much. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, players have come in at City and everyone thought Bernardo would mean the end for Sterling. Everyone thought Alexis Sanchez would mean the end for Sterling. Then it was Mahrez who'd be the end for Sterling. And, and they haven't. And it's because 
he keeps meeting these challenges and, and excelling. One player, as we said in this, the second part of the discussion, Jaden Sancho did come on for his England debut. Bizarre circumstances to come on into rural Croatia and have no fans there sharing your name um, other than ones that were stood on that fence a couple of hundred <laughs> yards away. Um, his debut has again raised questions of were City right? They didn't want to let him go. They wanted to keep him. He wanted to take the risk. It's paid off. Lots of players have left big clubs and it's not necessarily paid off. So credit to Sancho for doing that. But what's your opinion on him? Well, well Stuart, Stuart broke that City have got a buyback clause, didn't they? Like a match, or have you were you up at the top of the Empire State Building when that news? Um, I, I I think I think it's been said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I, first I think that's all, is it? Yeah, yeah. So if um, another club bids for him, then City can match match that and and have first pick of him. Well, on that basis, you'd have to say City did a good deal then, because if he wanted away, and there is an argument to say, because I've, I've also seen the rumours that are bounding around at the moment about Phil Foden being wanted now by Borussia Dortmund and or other clubs um, to give him, if you will and look at it from a City perspective, some competitive first-team football. Maybe there's an argument for that because if Sancho's now, by going away, got himself into the England squad, it's obviously helped his progress. And Foden, um, at the moment, is playing very little football. In the old days, there'd be a reserve team, a central league team, and there would be relatively competitive games in there, but uh, with older players as well, by the way, not just his own age group, but that doesn't exist anymore. So basically, Murich, who might, might play in a couple of league cup ties, but, but apart from that, all he'll do is train all season. Foden and Diaz and, and one or two other fringer type players will hardly play any football. And I find that astounding. They're in a difficult place, aren't they? Like you said, they've progressed from being just playing in the youth league and sort of playing these ones. And now they are on the fringes of the first they team. Need to it's play. difficult to find that balance. Phil Foden is different, I guess, in the sense to Sancho because he is a true blue as, as they come, really, Phil Foden. But he's at a crossroads, really, in his career. I know A.D. Boothroyd said last week that he personally, he's the England under-21 manager, and he personally said that he thinks it's better that Foden hasn't made that progression yet because he needs just game time. And I guess it does raise another question in terms of Phil Foden, whether he does need a loan. And Diaz. It's a lot to come back to this side, I'm just incredibly bored by Jadon Sancho and Man City and who was right, who made the right call, blah, blah. It's like, well, yeah, but we're not talking about that now. We're just going to draw a line under that side, well, aren't we? I think that's what needs to be done. Like... He doesn't play for anymore. Get over it. Yeah. He's gone. Both He's City gone. and Sancho could have acted better in resolving the situation that was a few seasons ago. Both City and Sancho, you could say, have been vindicated in their decisions. Sancho's got the game time he wanted. City showed, as they showed with Alexis and other players, that they won't just cave in to whatever an individual player demands, whether that's, you know... a PFA player of the year or a 16 year old who hasn't proven anything so City got a good deal I think for Sancho when they did um, because Dortmund gave him quite a good offer they've got this where they can look at him in future um, and I think that's that I think you can't really compare Sancho and Foden because they both want completely different things like if Sancho had been at City he would have been in exactly the same boat as Foden in terms of playing time, because that's the way Guardiola thinks they should be brought through. It's not like Foden's played and hasn't done anything. He's played well whenever he's he's come on, really. 
But um, that's the Guardiola way. There are a lot of good players, more quality players at City than there are at Dortmund, where Sancho hasn't been starting every game. He's only, he's not actually played that much football, Sancho, at Dortmund. It's sort of this myth that he starts every week and he runs the show yeah. and he's yeah. their star man. But he just comes off the bench when the games are generally already won and sort of adds to the to the win rather than creating them. Yeah, he's sort of the leg stretcher. He comes on when the defenders are tired and, and makes the difference if they need it or sort of adds gloss to the scoreline. He's doing very well. All the best to him. But I, I'm just... Tired. Well, maybe very the, tired of that. Maybe the bigger question, hopefully the less tiring question for yes. you, Simon, is which is the better model? Looking at it from a city perspective, which is the better model to bring a youth player through? Sancho's gone. He's a permanent player at Borussia Dortmund. However, we now understand that City can have first option, which is the reason why City fans will continue to follow him and wonder whether at some point... City might make a move to bring him back. So that's where we are. And I agree that what's gone in the past is sort of irrelevant. The question, though, that people are asking is whether that model could or should or would work for Foden or Diaz or anybody else that's coming through. You know, would it be better for them and their development? Would it be a quicker development? Again, taking into account what Rich has said about he's not actually playing as much as the myth suggests that he is playing, but he is getting some more game time, let's put it that way, yeah, yeah. than, than Foden yeah. is. So which is the better way? Because I've heard Pep get pretty frustrated about the system as it is now. And, I'd, and, I, and I've got to say, as a fan looking on, as a journalist looking on, I find it frustrating to see the way it's developed. Because I can remember, I, I used to go and watch Central League games regularly at Main Road and watch players coming back from injury, getting game time in there. The, the second-choice goalkeeper, I know in the, some of those days, there wasn't actually a second goalkeeper on the bench. But whoever was regarded as the backup goalkeeper would play week in, week out. And the same with the young players. So you might have... Uh, I don't know, Mike Doyle, I mean, this is really going back now, but Mike Doyle coming back from an injury might play half a dozen games in the reserves to get himself back up to fitness. And at the same time, and Colin Bell certainly played a lot of games in the reserves during his comeback. But you would also have young players coming through in that team playing alongside them or against the opposition players who are of that type of ilk. They, they, They don't get it now. So whether it's Foden, whether it's Diaz, whether it was Sancho, the question is really whether or not you know which of these methods should be used. But in terms of of um, Jaden Sancho, I was a huge fan of him, and if he goes on and fulfills his potential, I think he will be as good as at the very least Phil Ford and, and Brahim Diaz, and and I would love to think that. City, if they see him progress, might bring him back. Yes, he hasn't got that connection. Yes, he isn't the Stockport Iniesta and he's not a lifelong City fan and everything. But I, I look, I'm very excited about about him. I was certainly when he was in City's youth team set up. But to go back to your question then, <laughs> if Jadon Sancho becomes as good or, or better than Phil Foden and Phil Foden fulfills his potential doing what he's doing, taking it slow at City... Can we say that either is the best way? Yeah, you can. Of course you can. If it works both ways, then that discussion's mute. Right. But... The best way is whatever works for you, then. There's, there's, well, I guess there is no formula. That's the whole point. Yeah. People and have to take these risks. And, he's and still, Pep knows better than us yeah. anyway. So. And I guess for Sancho, one of the, one of the big problems was that Sane just signed and... Uh, 
for coming through. He's had the in one position maybe at City where you're going to have the, a big struggle to get the game time is going to be on the wings because they've got so many options and you've got people like Bernardo and stuff who can play versatile outside and even De Bruyne could play out wide if you needed them. Even David Silva could. So it's going to be difficult for someone like Sancho. I think with Pep, it's always interesting to know what type of experience he wants a player to play. Does he just want Foden playing reserve games? Because it's easy enough to say, yeah, he needs minutes under his belt. But if you, if you are an exceptional young talent and you're playing against players who aren't quite at your standard, are you actually learning anything? Or do you I, need to be involved in I the first team? I certainly don't know the answer. No, no but I'm only posing the question. I mean, really. <laughs> you were saying about Croatia-England having no atmosphere. You know, are yes. under-23 yeah. games any good when no one turns up to watch? True. Some, some people do, but I mean, I've not covered City for that long, but it, it feels like there's... Like there's less enthusiasm for the youth team since they've moved to the academy stadium, certainly the last few years, than there was even at, at yeah. Hyde. Would you go along with yeah, that? Yeah, it's staggering how, how little... Um, I love watching those games. Yeah. I, I'm staggered by how little apparent enthusiasm there is. In in Hoffenheim a couple of weeks ago, there were three and a half thousand, and, and this is a small town, Hoffenheim, yeah. who were there for the under-19 game. Wow. The equivalent game back in Manchester... Um, and it'll be at the same time of day. So this argument about people working or whatever goes out the window. you know. So we're not talking about Real Madrid had three or 4,000, though. We're no. talking about Hoffenheim. And yet City... There's not well, 3,000 people in Hoffenheim. Exactly. Tiny, tiny <laughs> You're right. So when it comes to the return game, yeah. what, 500 there? Yeah. You know, you've been to enough of them. And, and that really disappoints me. However, I suppose there's one other competition, which is this Checker Trade trophy that's been brought in. It's a slightly older, older uh, remit. It's not youth. It's under yeah. 23s, I think, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, under 21s, I think. Under 21 sides against league teams. Yeah. Which at least that's yeah. something, I mean, but that, it's only two or three games, isn't it? Yeah, I, I like the sentiment of that. But As a lower league fan myself, I hate the idea of yeah. academy clubs being played against as if, oh, we're going to do you a favour and put our kids <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, I, I totally understand that from, I get that from, from the, the lower league. Fans yeah. point of but view, from, yeah. from a city... <laughs> not that we're even in the football league, but if we were, <laughs> if, we had yeah. the, if we had the illustrious heights of the Checker Trade Trophy, yeah, and, and attendances aren't aren't good because no. of that. Um, all City's games in the Czech trade are away from home to try and give them more of a test, but not many home fans turn up because mm. it's a bit of a waste for them. Um, but, you know, I like the sentiment of the Czech trade for City and for their purposes, but the sort of strains of the calendar mean that it's not always the best team you put out. The last Czech trade game was when City played Oxford away in the Carabao Cup and you sort of think how many players could have made the bench or, you know, played some minutes as it was. Guardiola took, well, Foden started, Dinty Diaz yeah. played and... Uh, but it was, it was a very strong side for the nature of the game, wasn't it? Against yeah, Oxford? yeah. But, you know, you would normally be looking, you know, that... Like we saw in the Carabao Cup last year against um, Wolves and Leicester. Yeah. Was a much more youthful sort yeah. of look to the, the side. The Checker Trade Trophy is probably the best youth competition for the likes of Foden to get minutes in. But he's not going to be playing in them if he's playing in League Cup matches for the senior team, which is a sign of his progress, but it, it, it doesn't really work out. It's good for the players and, you know, we shouldn't be expecting every player in the academy to make the first team. Um, but it it is, I guess, it's not as useful for the club as it could be. Another question here, Sam. I'm not sure while you're away, did you manage to watch City versus Liverpool or did you get to a, I was miss it? I was following it via Twitter on a Greyhound bus. 
That's that sounds good. It's not quite being there with with cheesy, but um, that full view that we've got of the whole pitch from there, did yeah. you? No, no, no. I certainly couldn't give an opinion on how Raheem Sterling played. Thankfully, you don't have to. We have had a question on Twitter again. This is one from Andy Jones. Uh, it's a, sort of in relation to what we asked last week. We posed this question last week um, in terms of the, after the Riyad Mahrez penalty miss. Um, who should be City's second choice taker when Sergio's not on the pitch? I know last week, Stu had a full dossier of stats. I think Gundogan's the second best penalty taker or maybe the most clinical penalty taker at the club from his time at Dortmund usually. He scored in the Champions League final at Wembley as well for them. Um, penalties, do you think that I mean, as a City fan, Cheesy, are you? Do you think it is something that we City need to have a meticulous list? Knowing yeah, who? if Pep's got his his list of captains, uh, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and the other night, neither none of them were on, so they had to go to number six, <laughs> which apparently was Fabian Delph, was it? Yeah, Fabian Delph. Um, surely there should be, uh, you know, one one to ten or whatever of penalty takers. Uh, yes, there's always that sort of who wants to take it on the day, who's in the right mood, uh, you know, that does come into it because it, because p- taking penalties, you can take a million of them in training and score every one of them and then miss one in the game because the crowd or whatever the pressure's got here. But nevertheless, there should be a plan. There should be... I, I talked to Paul Simpson, who is uh, the, the coach of the World Cup winning England junior side, and, uh, and he told me that, that the research that they do in training, the practice that they do with players taking to both sides and down the middle, noting every single one that they've took in training uh, and they've took maybe 30, 40 a day uh, on the occasions when they practice them, that all that information is there and they make their decision on a 1, 2, 10 uh, list of who's available in that team and, and who would be top, who would be bottom and... They do the same sort of research on the opposition, by the way, um, and that's the sort of meticulousness that that he does. Well, I would have thought and expected that Pep and City would do something similar because City at the moment are the, the best team in the country, arguably the best team in Europe, and should be should be at that level, shouldn't they? They should. Yeah, it would be astonishing if City hadn't meticulously researched that all and got that sort of hierarchy of of penalty takers. I mean, yeah, but if it was the other way around, they would know. The nature of every Liverpool player's penalty-taking yeah, correct, sort of yeah. history. Um, the other thing with Pep, though, is how it, that sort of sniff for what might be out there. And you can see why he might have just thought Riyad yeah. Mahrez could do a job. I mean, uh, um, I'm not told that Mahrez played exceptionally well at Anfield. Um, and he has that record of missing penalties. So it's a bit of a surprise that he was allowed to take it. Um, you sort of... I mean, Guardiola said when he's asked why he doesn't play Foden more, to go back to that, like, I pick teams to win. I don't pick them for Gareth Southgate or anyone else. So you can see how scoring a penalty might have made it lift off for Mahrez and his City career and, you know, giving him a lot of confidence. But, you know, City needed somebody to uh, step up with the confidence and, and take it. I mean, it's, you know, are we making too much of... Of one kick of a football. I'm it was bored the last, of this conversation. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think partly it's because it was the last meaningful kick of football City had with that penalty. Yeah. So it sort of dwells a bit longer than it should do. Yeah. With an international I, break coming at the wrong time, what, really. What I would say is that I very much apologise if somebody said this last week, but I very much like the fact that Gabriel Jesus wanted to take the penalty mm. and was upset when he couldn't because I, I think strikers should always want to if be. If a striker doesn't want to score yeah. a goal, there's a real you issue. You think that was it, Euro? 
2004 or something, Darius Vassell wouldn't step up and take a penalty. Yeah, for and, England against... Yeah, he just thought, you know, you're a striker, you, your job is to put the ball in the net and you don't want to step up and try and do that for you, your country. So I, I was pleased because I don't think Jesus had the best start to the season that he, he did want to to step up and, and take it. It's funny, I spoke to Sean Gold, to the former City striker, mm. about this penalty thing. And uh, he told me in the conversation that I had with him that he took one for City and missed it. It then turns out when somebody else researches it that he did score Sean Galter, so it shows how memory plays tricks. Right. But I also said to him, and this is the, the, the bit that I want, was relevant to what you just said, uh, surely as a striker, you would go, me, 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 because throughout the game... Especially with Aguero off the pitch. Yeah. 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 You, and throughout the game, you are desperate for a shot from 12 yeah. yards yeah, out with just yeah. the goalkeeper to be. So you think- why wouldn't you be desperate to take a penalty with the ball stationary and only you versus the keeper One, 12 yeah. yards out? One. And yet he, he, Sean Galter was always keen on doing it, even though he was, you know, feed the goal and he will score. Yeah. Maybe so that, that was it. No one was teeing him up. <laughs> well, that, that's sort of what he said. Right. You know, that that when it comes up, and yeah. it's natural yeah. and you can just sweep at it and, it and it's instinct, but when you've got time to think about it, yeah. somehow that's different. I don't get that. I did hear one theory on Twitter, which I kind of bought into, you know, about Jesus saying, he's just spent the summer with Alisson at the World Cup. If someone's going to know which way you're going to take a penalty... It might Correct. be your own international goalkeeper. Yeah, but you know, you know all this research that people do on penalties, and they, you know, and it, and that Liverpool game. I know we're going back to it, and and the penalty. So we are harping on about it unnecessarily in some ways. But the goalkeeping coach was highlighted on the TV pictures that I didn't see, uh, telling Alison which way to go. And that's the side Mahrez went for. Did he go over the bar? <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, it wasn't quite as clear cut as that. that high. <laughs> but, it, you know, the rough direction and the yeah. rough plan was what the, the coach had suggested. But So, so what, what do you do? You, you, if you've took 10 penalties and you're, you have a, clearly have a favoured side because it's on record where those 10 penalties were, you can do the double bluff, can't you? You, do, you don't necessarily put it the way that everybody's expecting you to put it. But then, you if you, the other way, but then you? if you get it wrong that way, you get even more sticks yeah. because people say, why aren't you just sticking to the way where you always score? If, if you have a favoured side and you hit it well enough, the keeper should never save it. Yeah. But if the goalkeeper's always thinking and he said he's going to put it that favoured side, then... Yeah. Well, well, if he starts off like four inches to his right or four yards to his right, then... It's easier said than done scoring get... a penalty, isn't it? Yeah. That's what we've discovered. Me, me yeah. and Simon need to take a penalty here, don't <laughs> I mean... <laughs> but very hard to uh, break if, down penalties. If people want to see a Talking City penalty shootout, I'm sure, <laughs> sure we could try and get something good Still playing yeah. goal, one. I'd like to see that. Um, another question we got on uh, Twitter this week from William Quigley. Um, he says, what are the chances of a striker coming in January? That's sort of on the sort of Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero links. And there's another comment as well that came from Manan Monga, who says there's rumours of Frankie de Jong and Matthias de Litt joining in January. I think just in general, City, it's difficult to say because we're still so early into the season. You never know. I mean, last season we saw some some bad injuries which could have played a part in plans for the January transfer window. I think as it is right now, City wouldn't necessarily be looking to strengthen in January, but they did want a midfielder in, in the yeah. summer that they didn't get. So... I guess it is if the right person comes available for the right price, they might might go into the market. But yeah, I think they um, they showed last January when they were looking at Fred for the summer, and then time and circumstance meant that they considered it in January before then moving away and 
ultimately not signing him, um, that they are willing to do business in each window. Yeah, I mean... Fred's a midfielder though, isn't he? Well, it used to be the case that, you know, you would do your main business in the summer and then January is a time for sort of when things haven't gone well. You need to add something or, you know, City are short of firepower, so let's sign Wilfred Boney, whatever happened to him. But I think because... Two weeks in a row he's at the shout-out now, though, Wilfred Boney. Oh, has he? The, um, because the transfer market has changed so much with your sort of Neymars and things like that, I think City are now thinking more just window by window rather than, you know, main business in January. I so, guess it depends what competitions they're in for in January, what their sort of layabout is and what their projections are for the rest of the season. Uh, yeah, and you had last January when John Stones had been injured, Vincent Company was injured and City looked for a defender to sign um, to sort of tide them over for the rest of the season. So you will get those. Um, I'd be very surprised if they signed a striker in January because I think they've they've been pretty good in attack yeah. so far. Sergio Aguero signed on for another year, which I think is news that nobody was really expecting. Um, it's a nice bonus. And I guess another aspect of it all is that City are already top of the Premier League. They're flying again and they've not had De Bruyne for all, yeah. for most of the season anyway. So scoring goals, etc. doesn't look like an issue at all for City. No, but I mean, they only have sort of your two centre forwards, if you want to call them like that. Aguero and Jesus both have signed new contracts this season. Um, got the Metro on loan. You've got the Metro on loan. quite good lately. Yeah, yeah, it should be a very good loan for him. And you've also got sort of Bernardo as a, a false nine. Sterling can play more centrally. So I'd be very surprised if they went for a forward. Um, further back midfield and defence. I think they they do need cover for, for Fernandinho. And they never replaced Yaya Torre either, really. I know it's not a position maybe they need to because he was sporadic by the time he sort of left City anyway. But you're thinking long term... Another central midfielder, someone they can bed in and not have to rush into the squad. Is De Jong? I mean, I keep reading about De Jong, and you'll be across this more than me, Simon. Uh, you know, is De Jong? I mean, the, the rumor I said seen was seventy million pound initial inquiry with Barcelona and Real Madrid sniffing around. Is that to look at the Jorginho, Fred central mid- midfield defensive cover for Fernandinho stroke partner? Is that what that is? And do you think there's anything in that? Yeah, I mean, I've not heard anything as strong as a bid. Um, I've heard that he's a player that Guardiola likes and is interested in, um, and sort of taps into that model as a youngish player that can play in a few positions and looks like being very technically good and tactically adaptable. Um, So I would not be surprised if City do further their interest in him, Um, but I've not heard anything yet to suggest that they... They See, will in January. Having missed out on Giorgino, who's clearly doing well at Chelsea. Yeah. And Fred, who perhaps isn't doing quite as well, but nevertheless has come into the Premier League. There is definitely still a need for that, isn't there? Oh, I think so, yeah. And I, I think the you know, the hope was that Fernandinho would be amazing for 55, 60 games. And he may yet prove to be. I'm not sure. I think he's been pretty good. Um, it's difficult to lose the last season. Though. I think last season for him at City was one of the... Well, his best really I think he ran the show I think he was so good Fernandinho but like I said it's such a reliance and especially on four fronts if you're playing all those competitions it's so much to ask of a yeah and, I mean one of the tough things for Fernandinho is that he absolutely hates not playing yeah he would play every game if, if he, he could, could. Yeah. so you know it, it then becomes not only like what if he isn't 
perfect in every game. It becomes what if they're losing for any length of time. And for that reason, I think you need some think, kind of cover. Do you think he maybe is the one outfield player who's the most hard to replace in that City side out of the eleven? Because um, we've seen them cope well without De Bruyne. You see when Aguero's not playing, there are other options. I think Fernandinho is maybe the one who who doesn't have a like-for-like replacement as such in that City side at the moment. Yeah, so certainly outfielder. I yeah, because I think Edison's, Edison would be tough. Yeah, especially um, about Brava at the moment. It's going to be difficult for Grimshaw to yeah, fill that. But. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think Fernandinho has been for some years the most invaluable player and for that reason because it's very hard to do what he does. Um, I know Pep said before that he's a he's a better player than he ever was as a player, <laughs> which is quite the compliment and you can see how much how much he rates him, but you know, you've got to protect your assets and one way of protecting him would be to get someone in to uh to play some of the games to give him a rest. I'm guessing the reason for that question um, which was more specifically about strikers, was the same reason that, that question would have been asked by people towards Christmas, going up to Christmas last year. Sorry to mention the C word, we are still away, away <laughs> off Christmas, but um, in that if Aguero was to get injured, uh, Jesus would be the only support, you know, the only player who could come in. And is that one of the roles where a player. Yeah, you know, you don't want to be playing him every week. You might try to play Fernandinho in most of those games, but a striker of all, perhaps the fullbacks of, of of all the players on the pitch are the ones that arguably use the more more uh, explosive energy. Um, you know, during a game, and Sergio Aguero's playing brilliant, scoring lots of goals. There are still fans who are not entirely convinced by Gabriel Jesus. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn by saying that. And the fact that Pep in pretty much every game went, especially when it's considered to be one of the bigger games, goes for Aguero rather than Jesus. I know there might be rare exceptions to that, but it still feels to me as if that's the pecking order. Um, so the, the, the concern would be, and I know you've said, Simon, about um, either Bernardo Silva or Raheem or whatever in false nines, but as an out-and-out striker, and I'm only guessing that that's the real reason for the question. Yeah, I think on paper what if Aguero well, yeah. gets injured is the question, isn't it? Yeah, I think in terms of a sort of a, maybe a modern football fan who looks at teams based on how they rank up on FIFA and things as well, and maybe fantasy football, when you look at that city side and there's only two out-and-out strikers, you're always going to be a bit pessimistic, especially when they're playing towards the end of the season. It'll be two games a week for most of the most of the season. You're always going to have that sort of backward, that thought in your head. Because Aguero and Jesus have both had spells recently where they've been out of the team with injury. So I think it's natural for a City fan to be pessimistic in that sense. There's seven and, league games in December. Seven league yeah. games plus, I think, a potential League Cup quarterfinal. You know, that that is a lot of football, you know, and, and that's... And when- I guess in terms as well of people like Phil Foden, that's when they really will come into their own. Um, we, we saw it last season, it was that sort of tough, sort of festive period where City's squad rotation really helped them and in the end played such a part in that convincing title win, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, you'd like to, to think that that is, the, that is the time they all get games. That's uh, certainly been the message conveyed to them. Um, but as we know, Anything can happen. Anything can happen. And I guess we will see again this weekend. Burnley for City is next up. Both of you looking forward to that one, I'm sure. So you'll be delighted to be back in the match day routine, I'm sure. Yes, yeah, yeah. Expectations for that game. Burnley at home must win. Easy as that. I think I think City will be heavy favourites and should expect to win. But I think in 
I think this season in the Premier League has already shown that it will be more difficult for City. They won't be able to roll teams over. If you remember when Burnley came to the Etihad last season, last With, around was October. Was there the FA Cup game as well last season? There, there was, yeah, two. but the, the, league the league game in October, well. Sean Dyche was sort of more adept at stopping City than anyone that had yeah. come before. He's a very intelligent coach and they seem to be sort of improving after a slow start to the season. So I think a point would not be the end of the world. Having said that, you know, it's interesting you should finish with that sentence because last season, obviously I talked to fans before and after every game. The one, the, the game where the fans were the most, it felt like the most disappointed, almost more than losing at home to United mm. and losing to Liverpool uh, was the one-one draw at Burnley when Raheem missed that chance? Yeah, and and I I was talking to Burnley fans coming out of the ground, and they were all like completely shocked and devastated. I think those fans will go into this game at the weekend against Burnley, whilst you're you, you were diplomatically saying they should be and they'll be expected to win. <laughs> they will be going to the Etihad demanding to win, you know, n- n- especially having gone to Anfield and got that draw yeah, and now being top of the table, what you don't want to do now is, lo- you know, you- you've got the momentum, you're top of the league. This time last year, City were top of the league and never were knocked off it. As long as City keep winning now, week in, week out, and the run of games they've got coming up now in the league anyway, until maybe the derby, you know, are, are winnable yeah. uh, or... or- you know, at this level, should be wins. You've got to go out and beat Burnley now. I, I but think- is Burnley at home any harder than Wolves no. away looked in like the third, no? You're right, and and now Burnley are out of Europe. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, there was a little bit, I think, of you know too much happening to them and, and not a lot yeah. of squad. They've had now. No disrespect to Burnley, although that obviously means loads of respect, disrespect <laughs> when you say that. But Burnley probably haven't had as many players away on international duty. So they should come into this game much more refreshed. Yeah. And they will be looking to get something. They will, then with Sean Dyche in control, they will not come to the Etihad thinking, like some teams occasionally do, and think, well, if we get beat today, it's not the end of the world. We've got a bigger game next week. I think they'll come and try and get something. And yeah. they really believe they can. they can do. And well, I guess, again, for them as well, it's a win-win situation. Whatever happens, happens. I mean, yeah. you might say, yeah, they could get thumped, but Burnley maybe aren't... I'm going to probably eat my words on this. Well, they're not <laughs> the type of teams you get thumped and concede five or six goals, I don't think, in, in no, a game. they don't generally, do they? Well, the, the generally three is ga- the key word there, isn't <laughs> it? After the the three games week. they played last season, City yeah, won the first two and got a draw away. I can't remember them playing that well. I remember them being game. quite pragmatic. I remember them Be- sort of playing to their strengths, but I don't remember because them threatening Burnley City. Because played very well. Yeah. I mean, the, the draw, you have the Sterling miss, but also you have the fact that City were absolutely knackered. Yeah. Um, and City, in, in general, in that game, I don't think played well at all. I mean, their goal was a worldie from Danilo from outside yeah. the box. It wasn't as if they created too many clear-cut chances other than that Sterling miss in which they really sort of peppered them and sort of, sort of smothered them in midfield and had the spaces out wide. I remember it being really tight and sort of just a game that never really got going for City. Yeah, yeah, and, and that and that is credit to Burnley and why you know just as they drew with Wolves and company said there are no givens. No, yeah, other teams will drop points yeah. against Wolves and other teams have. Um, so there are no givens I, since I, Shea. I am sure you will. Uh, people will be demanding that City win, but, but if it wasn't to happen, I I think yeah. yeah yeah Burnley are one of the the better teams in the league for me. 
Fantastic. Well, before we go today, we've got a special shout out uh, that we got from one of our loyal fans called Edward Print. Um, he's 82 and he's from Cornwall and he says he's delighted that we're back for the new season Excellent. and he uh, listens every week and he said he couldn't wait to list podcasts so thank you very much Edward we hope, we hope you, you're Thanks, still Edward. listening because it's I'm been quite on us. Yeah, it's been quite a lengthy one hasn't it so let's hope he's made it this you've far you've got to slip <laughs> one more question in I demand there's another question in right there is another question coming but I'm thinking we might set it for next week because I know you want to get very angry yeah but there's there's an additional there's a little extra bit to the question which is this the fact that the NFL played on Tottenham's pitch the pitch this looks week. really bad and they will have, it will have been the third NFL game of the season, I think, at Wembley by the time City go there. Um, two weeks today it will be, won't it, when they go to play Spurs. We'll get next week, we're going to talk I'm properly about rant, the... promise you. We're going to talk about the fixture congestion. But yeah, going into that game, we had one question before on Twitter saying, do you think City should have approached the Premier League asking Spurs to forfeit that match? Well, the answer, My answer is certainly City should have been... Uh, a lot more demanding of... They've been too nice over it, yeah, really, too I, I, accommodating, because it's a disgrace that Spurs have been able to get away with that and not be punished so heavily for it. On the one hand, I, I do take, take my hat off, well, I would have had one, but to, to, to the Sheikh and Khaldun and everything for the way that they um, uh, always want to be dignified in everything that they do. And when FFP was at its height and we could all see how unfair it was and a lot of City fans felt... It was being targeted at, at City, which it may well have been. What did the Sheikh do? What did Khaldun do? What did the City authorities do? Um, they kept quiet and, and they tried to sort of go along with it and, and, and act very dignified. And I applaud that. I wonder whether behind the scenes they haven't been like that. So in, in the There's case... There's no need to wonder. <laughs> right, well, and in, in that case, you've answered the next question, which is in this case with this Tottenham, surely... This is the the swan where we see the calm city saying nothing and apparently just accepting what's been thrown at them. But presumably they've been paddling like fury underneath, complaining uh, and wanting things to be, you know, changed and and. Yeah, well, I think there's just been bemusement and sort of surprise that nothing, nothing was done. You know that Tottenham did nothing, even though it's their mess. And as you say, City very dignified and you know go about things in an appropriate way and I think they thought they would speak to Tottenham and everything would be all right and they'd find a solution and they just got the door shut in their face pretty much so I mean it it looks like City could and should have done more maybe to to sort of put the team and the fans in a better position but I think they just got caught out by how little Tottenham were prepared to do unfortunately uh, well uh, you can uh, especially that chap in Cornwall who's a big fan but anybody else <laughs> uh, I can promise you that this time next week when we're recording <laughs> this I will be in full rant mode about Tottenham and the whole situation so um, if that's not enough reason to tune in I really don't know what will be that's going to be an absolute hopefully we'll have the victory of Saturday and a nice joyous mood and then we can have all yeah. the anger of the, Sunday, of the Monday and the yes. disbelief that you've both got to go down to Wembley on a Monday night. I will uh, I will read read out the fan mail I got from some Tottenham fans after uh, yeah, writing I, a piece I, to that I effect. do remember that piece of fan mail. Which <laughs> go was, for it, Simon, go for it. Wait, I don't think we want to put it on air I think we yet. might have to put the X-rated yeah, sign on. Don't want to have it to 18 plus Talking City podcast just for that. But yes. who knows? We'll see how next week goes, won't we? If we're feeling angry, we'll just throw a few in there, won't we? But, <laughs> We'll see I happens. won't be holding back and telling you. <laughs> well, that's a treat. 
Um, and it was a treat having you both today. Ian, thank you very much for joining us again. Sai, delighted to have you back. Thank Make you sure to subscribe back. to Talking City on ACAS for all the latest episodes and stick with us at the Manchester Evening News for all your Manchester City news going forward.